I've got I've having a really bizarre night and morning. I've been in the book of Mark, and uh, it's my third lesson on it. And I love it because it's got me really excited about the life of Jesus. But man, last, last night I was just, the Lord just said, spoke to me something so strange. And I woke up early this morning because I didn't want to miss him, and he said it again. He told me just to give my, my tell my story. Tell my story. <laughs> I've never done that. I've never. I don't think I've ever told my story. And uh, you know, I'm a Bible teacher. I like teaching the Bible. I don't like telling my story because you have to be vulnerable to tell it right. And when you get vulnerable, you open yourself up for pain and hurt. But uh, if you all listen to it for a few minutes, I think maybe God's got something in that story for somebody here today. I mean, he wouldn't have pushed me with it. Last, I mean, I had my sermon already. I woke up studying it, and the Lord speaking to me, you're not to do this today. So I closed it up, and I prayed. I said, what do you mean? He said, tell your story. Just tell your story. So, and my mama's not in here. I like it when she's here because she could validate a lot of it. <laughs> anyway, I turned 58 this Friday. So I'm on the wrong side of 58. <laughs> I'm on the... I'm on the wrong side of 58, I can't believe it, but that did help me reflect some this morning when I was thinking about the story, because I was born in this little small town in Mississippi, McGee, Mississippi, about an hour south of Jackson, born into a middle-class Christian Baptist family, so I got, I got saved when I was six years old, walked down the aisle, I remember what they were singing, Blessed Assurance, this is my story, this is my song. Now, at six years old, I don't know what my story my song was, but I, was, I remember the song. I told the preacher I wanted to be saved. He baptized me the next week. I had a mind for the Word of God at six. I remember clearly in the back seat of my parents' car on the way to the Baptist church, McGee First Baptist Church, we passed by the Methodist church. And I remember asking my dad, how do you know the Methodists aren't right? What, what do you mean, boy? Drove up a little more. The Presbyterian. I said, Dad, my friend Barry goes to the Presbyterian church. How do you know they're not right? What are you talking about, son? Just another quarter mile. There's a big Catholic church there, McGee. Dad, what about the Catholic church? I got friends at school go to the Catholic church. How do you know they're not right? He pulled in that parking lot of that McGee First Baptist Church and said, Son, because I'm your dad and your dad knows what's right. But from that day on at six, I always had an open mind. Who's got this thing right about church? I, at six, it bothered me why there were so many different kind of churches. Anyway, I grew up a good, clean kid, hardworking kid. I was very shy, very introverted. And uh, we went to four different schools from seventh to tenth grade, and that probably added to that. But I became totally introverted. I just wanted, I hated school. I went home and I worked. I love working because I love making money. And um, I only made an 18 on my ACT test. So the counselor told me not to go to college. He said, you're really not college material, son. He said, you just need to get you a trade somewhere. And that was good news to me because I didn't want to go to college anyway. So what, whatever. This, the counselor, my dad, everybody's on board. I left the house at 17 years old and became a cowboy. And I lived on a ranch in Louisiana, and we woke up from before daylight to after dark. We worked long, hard days riding horses. On the weekends, we, we rode bareback broncs at the rodeo. 
I mean, I was having the time of my life. I was a real cowboy. But I uh, only made 132 bucks a week. And at the end of the summer, I asked our team leader how much he makes. He's been doing that 18 years. He said, I make 132 a week. And I realized there was no future in being a cowboy. So I said, all right, I'm going to go back home. So I came to work with my dad. And my dad had this little four-store salvage store chain. I had this little bitty store in Tylertown, Mississippi, 18 years old. It was like Sanford and Son. It was just a little junk store. Dad was Fred and I was Lamont. I mean, that was the way the whole deal went. But we, we had a blast, though. And I loved it. And I, I learned how to take something when no one else sees value in and, and see the value in it and sell it. So I bought one little deal that I ate time my money on, and boy, I was off and running. In fact, I love this business. I had this crazy, my granddaddy had a little salvage store. My daddy had these four little stores. And I told myself, I want to be the world's greatest retail salvage man. And you know what? I was probably the only kid in the whole world with that particular dream. <laughs> but it was a real dream for me. It was very real. And I loved it. And God bless. So I got married at 19 years old. My wife was 16 years old. And we were going to a church, and I was trying to run my business. I made $8,000 the first year. I made $10,000 the second year. So we were struggling in the beginning. And uh, I remember one night I was watching television, and there my pastor, Brother Ricky Edwards, from Pass Road Baptist Church in Gulfport, Mississippi, was in handcuffs. And the police were escorting him. And he, he landed his airplane into, on the Gulf Coast, and it was full of cocaine. He smuggled a load of cocaine into the United States. He was a pastor that I adored. I loved that guy. And it just destroyed my faith. Not only did I quit church, I said, I quit God. Nothing's real. If Brother Ricky would fall, like that, nothing can be real. So I just focused on making money. I had a new wife and a new family. And I got really good at making money, and God was really blessing me. And by the way, I, I tithed way back then. Before, right before Brother Ricky fell, I only had $1,000 to my name. And he was taking an offering for something, and I gave him $800 and kept 200 for myself. And that was my pattern for the rest of my life. My real gift's a giver. I'm not a professional preacher. If you look at my gifts in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit distributes gifts. My gift is giving. It always has been. And that's why God's always blessed me supernaturally is because I've always given in that supernatural realm. So anyway, I, I was a giver and I was making money now. By my third year, I made 100 grand. By the time I was 26 years old, I was a millionaire. And I was living high. And I hadn't been to church now in years. I didn't want anything to do with church. So when you're out there making money, not going to church, traveling 250 days out of the year on the road, well, guess what? You, you, you fall apart if you don't have any firm foundation. So I just totally backslid. I became totally miserable. I was self-centered and egotistical. Yes, I always had a brand new Porsche, and I had the fanciest house in town. But, man, I was getting miserable. I, w I was starting to feel like I had no purpose, and I was even starting to have suicidal thoughts. And this just got worse and worse and worse. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I go on a business trip to Hong Kong. And I know I've told this part of my story, I'm sure. But um, it's, it's just the reality of Jesus Christ in my life. I'm just an ordinary man who's had a 
tremendous experiences with the Savior of the world. And uh, so we can read Mark and read about Jesus 2,000 years ago. I think God's just wanting to say, hey, that same life, that same life can be experienced here 2,000 years later today. He can live his life through us. So anyway, I'm in Hong Kong. I'm doing business. We're rolling. We're living wild. I mean, I'm just wild by this time. I'm an alcoholic. I'm running around. I'm just, I'm just a total mess. And I'm over in Hong Kong with a buddy of mine, and we're importing merchandise and partying all night. And I get deathly sick. I mean deathly sick. He takes me to the hospital. I get worse. They take me to a different hospital. I'm going down. I'm going down. I'm dehydrated. I'm dry heaving. I'm actually just dry heaving bile. I mean, that's after like day six or seven of this. It was, I was totally just a mess. They, the medicine they put in me, my body reacted the wrong way to it. They didn't speak English. I didn't even know what they were putting in me. It was a bad time. And I woke up one morning, I looked in the mirror, and I saw the head of death behind me. And a fear came over me. It was the fear of God. And I looked in my room, and there was a Bible by the bed, placed there by the Gideons. I didn't open it. I just looked at it. By looking at the Bible, I started reasoning, well, maybe God is real. If God is real, then heaven's real and hell's real. Because if that Bible's real, it means God has an absolute and heaven and hell are real. I don't care what my Baptist religion says. If anybody deserves to go to hell, it's me. And I knew I was on my way to hell. So I had a religion all those years that kind of protected me, that think, thinking, because it was called once saved, always saved. Don't worry about it. You got saved when you're six. But when you're looking at death and you're aware that you're a sinner before God, it doesn't matter what my religion said. I needed Jesus. So as I just, that's why the Bible says, come reason together, saith the Lord. See, I was reasoning with God. I was just reasoning with him. When I realized I was a sinner on my way to hell, I, I just knelt on my knees, simply cried out, Jesus, save me. That's all I said. And this flood, this wave of love and grace and mercy came over my soul. Man, I never felt anything like that in all my life. I was so grateful. I was just thanking him. I crawled to get in bed. I laid in bed, and I, went, I remember closing my eyes thinking, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm okay. <laughs> and I slept for 28 hours. I woke up. My body was getting better. Then a couple more days, I was on a plane flying home. And all the way home, I said, I can't wait to buy me a brand-new Bible when I get home because I'm going to try to figure out who this Jesus is that just saved me, a sinner like that. So I started pursuing him. I started reading my Bible up to three to four hours a day. I'm not just saying, I really did that. And I started going to every kind of possible church you can go to. I went right there in the little town of Lumberton. There was five of them. <laughs> Out in the country, there were more. I went to Haddish. Every church I could go to, I wanted somebody to teach me the truth because I wanted to live this thing. I didn't want it to just be something I did at church. I wanted to live this. I knew I had been saved supernaturally in Hong Kong, and I wanted the reality of it. So I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm visiting every church I can. And sometimes visiting church, you get you discouraged. I remember one night I went out in a country church called a Holiness Pentecostal Church. 
and I think it was called Holiness Apostolic or something. And I drive up there in my brand new Porsche. I got a $1,500 suit on. It's on a Friday night. I walk in those doors. The preacher saw me. He changed his sermon and preached a sermon on rich people going to hell. <laughs> I promise. That's the kind of ignorance I faced everywhere I went. I mean, just the bizarre teachings all over America. So uh, anyway, I was trying so hard, and, and as, as much as I was trying to live this godly life, all of a sudden one day I did something I shouldn't have done. I stumbled. I fell. And it devastated me because I've been trying so hard. I didn't think I would ever fall again. And I got so discouraged, I remember taking my Bible and just pitching it in the corner of the room. And I said, you know, I'm just going to go back to work. I flew to New York the next Monday morning, did a deal, took a guy out to dinner that night, talking loud, carrying on like I do in business. My, my job was to entertain these insurance executives, and they'd sell me the merchandise I needed. So I'm talking to this guy real loud, got a steak, glass of wine, the whole thing. And an old man walked up to my table and points his finger in my face and says, Son, the life you're pretending to live here tonight is not the life God's called you to live. He has saved you and called you away from this, but you fell and got discouraged and gave up. I'm here to tell you not to give up. Man, I was so excited. I looked at my client. He's looking at me like, are y'all crazy? I mean, what in the world's going on here? So I said, sir, can I have your name and number? And as soon as I get home, I'll give you a call. He said, no, son, you'll never see me again. He walked out of the building. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. I couldn't wait to get rid of my client. Got in my motel room that night, fell on my face, and told the Lord I was sorry. Told the Lord I, I repent, that my heart's going to turn back to you again. That just, I, I told him just because I fell, I shouldn't have given up. And I realized that, that this is part of the journey. So I go on probably another six months. I'm really doing well. I'm studying. By now I'm getting in airplanes every weekend, flying around to different cities, visiting different kind of churches, looking for the truth, studying. I even hired a Hebrew rabbi to come into my office one hour every morning at the beginning of the day to teach me the Hebrew language so I could go deeper with it. I mean, I was a man on a mission looking for truth. And um, probably half a year goes by again. I remember, I remember falling again. I'm out of town, I do something stupid, I, I come home, I'm full of guilt, I'm full of shame, I'm full of condemnation. I just didn't know how to handle this. And I was so angry at God. It's just strange how when I fell, I would transfer and get angry at God about it. Yeah. Y'all ever done that? <laughs> you get mad at God when you mess up, you know? But I, I thought God had let me down. But he didn't let me down. I, let myself, I just made a mistake. I didn't realize at that time that the Christian life was a progressive journey and you're going to make mistakes from time to time. But anyway, I got mad. I, I threw my Bible down again. I think I even pitched a little fit there to the Lord and, and uh, woke up on a Saturday. I was just laying around the house, not even depressed, didn't want to do anything. And all of a sudden a pain hit me in my side. And it was as if somebody had taken a sharp knife and just stabbed me. And I was just wailing. I was hurting so bad. We didn't know what to do. My wife called my dad. He lived 20 minutes away. He jumped in his car, drove, came and got me, picked me up. I'm probably 27 years old at this time. Put me in the back seat of the car, hauls me to the hospital as fast as he can. 
I'm screaming the pain so great. And the doctor says, I don't know what that is. It's not an appendix. It's on the wrong side for that. He said, we're going to have to just do exploratory surgery. We're just going to, I'm just going to cut him open. And I promise you, we'll find out what the problem is. <sighs> I didn't want to hear that, right? So they wheeling me in the operating room. And they, they're about to put me to sleep. And I look at the ceiling. And I say, dear Lord, I'm sorry for getting mad at you. <laughs> I repent. If you'll just lead me, if you'll just show me the way, if you'll show me the truth, you know, I'll give everything to you. Man, as soon as I prayed that, that pain just went out of my body. And then they came in to put me to sleep. I jumped up real quick, said, no, don't do it. I'm okay. And they made me, uh, they made me stay there at night anyway to observe me, but I knew I was fine. God put that pain on me to get me to turn again, get me to repent. See, I was on a journey. She said, we got saved back in Hong Kong. Well, this two years, I'm, I'm still on a journey. Just because you get saved, that's not the end. That's the beginning of your journey. You're on a journey. We're all still on a journey. Amen. So, uh, anyways, this guy gives me a tape. And I'm, I'm a sermon fanatic by now. I'm listening to everything I listen to. And, but this tape was different. So I drove to Lafayette, Louisiana, 200 miles on Sunday morning to hear this preacher. And he preached a sermon on pride. Now, now, listen to this. For over two years, I've been to every church almost in the southeast. And I never heard anybody preach against pride. In fact, I didn't know pride was wrong. My daddy didn't tell me pride was wrong. That was a good thing. <laughs> You're supposed to be strong and confident and, you know, be proud of yourself and stand up and, Man, this minister showed me where pride was the core reason that I'm unhappy. That I, pride causes me to be self-centered. It causes me to rule and reign my own life. I was playing the God of my own life, trying to boss and control my own life. And that was the core problem. Man, it just made so much sense. He gave an altar call. And by the way, this church was crazy. They were wild, just crazy people. It was just the craziest place I've ever seen. So when they gave an altar call, I didn't, want, I didn't want anybody touching me, laying hands on me, nothing, all right? So I just knelt right there on my chair on the front row. I turned around and I started praying. I started repenting. Lord, forgive me. I didn't know I had pride. I didn't know I was self-centered. This makes so much sense. I didn't know I was trying to play God of my own life. As I started repenting like that, all of a sudden an image flashed through my mind of a sinful deed I would committed in my past and then another and another and another and another it was like a, a old-fashioned movie reel just, just flowing these images through and and the more i saw the images it, it hurt me i realized i'd sinned against god i realized how much i'd offended god and i was on my knees and, and i was praying i was just trying to repent but my mind was now out of control with these images and then I felt the wrath, the fury, the anger, the judgment of Almighty God about to crash in on my shoulders. It was so heavy, and the weight of it, and the wrath of it, and the fury, it was, it was the most frightening thing I'd ever sat under my whole life. Here my mind's just rolling with these nasty images, and, and the wrath of God's about to punish me for it. And I'm crying, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I repent. And then supernaturally, this curtain opens. 
And I'm, ta- I'm not in my imagination, but literally taken by the Spirit of God to Calvary. And I look up and I see the Savior, the Messiah, bruised, broken, bloody. And as I'm praying, I feel all this weight and pain of the judgment of God. I feel it lifted from my shoulders and placed upon Jesus's. And all of a sudden, I was free. And I looked at Calvary, and He bore the judgment of my sin. He bore the pain of my sin. He bore the wrath and the fury of Almighty God, the justice of God. And the vision of that changed me forever. I've never been the same. And I believe I got, I got saved in Hong Kong. But theoretically and theologically, I think I got born again this day. Because this is the day that I saw finally. I'd always known Jesus died for the whole world. But now I knew he died for me. Specifically for me. I know, I knew I had a Savior. I knew He died for me. I knew my sins were now washed away. For two hours I laid there crying in that chair. When I got up, there wasn't a preacher around, there wasn't a church mouse around, nobody was there. And I just drove home. I had a three and a half hour drive and I cried all the way home. (laughs) Wow, Now now I understood. For the first time I understood the gospel. Jesus was my substitute. He took my place. The other thing I saw real quick in the Bible was that the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was very real, and I needed this experience. I kind of fought it all my life because my dad told me it was only for crazy people. I think he said women and crazy people is the way he worded it, because <laughs> my mama had it. She, she, my mama got it in a glow meeting, and uh, so he was scared of it. So he, he sat all three of his kids down and warned us about it. Don't you let your mama talk you into this. This is all for just crazy people now. We don't do that. So I was kind of on guard about it. But man, these two years I've been studying my Bible, I couldn't find anything in the Bible against it. I mean, there was not Everything in the Bible pointed to all believers need this experience. All believers. You don't need it to go to heaven, but you're going to need it to overcome sin. You're going to need it to be a witness for Christ. You're going to need it to be an overcomer. You're going to need it to live the victorious life. All believers need it. So I started praying, Lord, I want it. Went back to that church, and the preacher even volunteered to put his hands on me and help me get it. And I wouldn't let him put his hands on me. I just didn't trust him. I mean, this church, these people were running. These, These people were just doing crazy stuff. And I wasn't sure if that was the devil or not. So I was going to play it safe. And I remember he really... Come on down here. And when he did, I made a beeline to the back wall and I crossed my arms. I'm thinking, if he takes another step toward me, I'm walking out of here. And I think he knew that, so he didn't push me any harder than that. But I wasn't, I wasn't ready for the touchy, touchy-feely thing there in church. <laughs> but, uh, boy, I wanted the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I, I went home. I fasted three days even because I nothing but water, saying, Lord, I need this. And the neat thing about God is my relationship is my own personal relationship and yours is your own personal. So everybody's salvation experience is different. Everybody's baptism of the Holy Spirit experience is different. And there's just no two alike. Our fingerprints aren't the same. So anyway, my experience came at midnight. I'm awakened, bright light in my room, like a ball of light. Slowly comes right toward my face, right into my face. Feels like hot oil. 
the crown of my head started oozing. It was an oozing feeling. As it, this hot oil went all the way down to the soles of my feet. I felt like I was uh, levitating off the bed all night long. It was that supernatural. I woke up with such love in my heart. I was so excited about life. So I loved everybody, even the people that I did not love the day before. Now I loved them all. It was just everything changed. And I went home after work and started praying, and God gave me a prayer language, a heavenly language, a language of angels, if you were, a language of tongues. And uh, so that's very real and very needful. And, and, man, if you hadn't had that experience, you need it. You need to say, Pastor Bill, I want that experience. Help me get it. Amen. And then... Then I saw I needed baptism in Jesus' name. I didn't fight that a bit. I saw that. I didn't have any problem seeing that. Most people spend years, they can't see it. My eyes just opened right away to it. God was so good to me. And uh, the neat thing about, again, Christianity is it's not a, you don't get a list of do's and don'ts the day you get saved. You get the Holy Spirit to live in you and convict you slowly and surely as you go. So I, I gambled, and I, I dipped snuff, and I drank beer. And those, to me, weren't sinful. Th- I didn't even know those were sinful things. I actually asked my preacher in Louisiana, are these, these things bad? <laughs> he looked at me like, are you out of your mind? He said, no one's ever asked me that. Of course all that's wrong. <clears throat> I said, well, I didn't know. I said, well, I've been saved, and I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I still got these things in my life. <clears throat> I went down in the waters in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, his death, his life. Planted there, buried there, baptized there, crucified there with him. And when I came up, guess what left my life? Gambling, nicotine, and beer. All that went away when I came up out of the water. Amen. That's powerful. So that's not, everybody's not the same there, but it, it, if you hadn't been baptized in the name, death, and life of our Lord, man, you need to do that. Because really, I, I really feel like that's where we identify and get where this old man actually, it gets eradicated. It's in the water. So uh, that was 1986 and 1988. I had these tremendous blood, fire, and water experiences. And uh, I would have thought by from then on, my life would have been rosy, peachy. What do you call it? Rosy, peachy, what's it? Chiquin. Chiquin. Peachy keen. There we go. Peachy king. Uh, but guess what? It didn't go that way. In fact, I remember specifically going to bed one night, and I'm sitting on my bed about to take my slippers off, and I have this amazing vision. It was like a vision... Boom, it's like a big, big screen TV gets rolled in, and you got full color and just full visuals. And it was taking me out of a city into a wilderness, into a barren place. And I was, it was moving so fast. And, and, and it stopped me right out in the middle of nowhere. It was all rocks and cactus and desert. And I came to... I laid down, I'm thinking, Lord, this can't be good. <laughs> this can't be. And over the next several years of my life, man, I had a lot of, a lot of pain. So as I was making, I was making all this money building this company with things I could control, but God was always over here cutting me down, <laughs> cutting me down, 
cut me down. And I didn't understand why. I did, yeah, I, I, oh, I had theoretically not uh, grasped of it, but uh, you know, emotionally it hurt me. And I got angry and, and, I, and I backslid. The, the other reason I backslid is because, you see, I was in this particular kind of church when I had these three amazing experiences. I mean, when I saw Jesus on the cross, got born again, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost a couple weeks later, baptized in Jesus' name a few weeks later. And all that happened while I was attending this one particular kind of church. So you know what that did to my subconscious? I was thinking, well, everything in that church must be right. In other words, I didn't even, didn't even dawn on me to question anything because look what had just happened to me. I had the most amazing experiences. And so I was just a member of that church. So we kept attending there. They, they came and helped plant a church in our little town. I became a pastor of that church. I pastored this church while I was growing my business and had all this turmoil. And um, it was the worst mistake I ever made in my life to make that assumption. Just because you got saved in a particular church doesn't mean that church is perfect in their doctrine. <laughs> Just you know, understand that. Wow, it was a big mistake. <clears throat> I'm going to have to shut down here quick. Y'all, are y'all enjoying this little story or not? I just want to make two points, really. Jesus saved me from the world. And that's, that's the story I just tried to tell you. You know, money won't make you happy. Success won't make you happy. New car every year won't make you happy. Man, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. But if you have him, then you have everything. And uh, so, man, he miraculously redeemed my soul. I was a man looking for him, longing for him. And he miraculously just saved me from the world, flesh, and the devil. Then I went through this time in my life where I, I, had, I had to suffer great depression. The year was... About 2002, 2001, 2002. And I went through this horrible trial. This person sued me, and uh, my spiritual leader was there involved. And there was all kind of lies and deception. And so I left there not knowing what to believe. I moved back to Mississippi. I didn't know who to believe. So from 2003 to 2008, I didn't go to church at all. I didn't read my Bible at all. From 2003 to 2008, I was the saddest, most depressed man you've ever met. I built a cabin deep in the forest just so no one could get to me. I had these three big giant fortresses or gates that you'd have to go through to get to me. I had my executives come out to this little golf house I had who would meet there once a week, and that's how I ran my business. I was, I was totally down, never went, didn't read my Bible. My Bible stayed on this one place the whole five years. And I was so angry at God. Way back the same trade I had when I first fell. This time, I was so angry at God for letting me get this depressed and this far down. And uh, I was just confused. I didn't know what to believe. I didn't know if my spiritual leader was bogus or a devil or a saint. I, I just didn't know what to believe about any of it. And in every night I went to bed, Jesus saved me. Jesus helped me. That, my prayers have been reduced to that small of a structure. Jesus saved me. Jesus helped me. 
Every night, every night, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. And miraculously, miraculously, one morning in 2008, miraculously, I just awakened, and the love of God awakened in my heart. Miraculously, I, I grabbed my Bible, I pulled it down, and I read it all day long. And I read it for the rest of that year. In fact, I typed a book called Understanding God, One Man's Quest, a thousand-page book. And uh, when I finished it, I put the period on it, and God said, that's just for you. Don't show that to anybody. But that's what God used to help get my soul. So it wasn't long. I sold my business. I sold my farm. I moved up here to Indiana. I wanted to preach the gospel. For the next three years, I preached the gospel. The greatest years of my life. Those were just easy years. I just traveled the world. We went all over the world. I don't know if I was preaching the gospel as much as I was preaching, you know, whatever I knew at that time. But, but nevertheless, I was preaching and life was not very stressful. But Jesus saved me from the world. He saved me from that pit of depression. So when people are depressed, man, I'm the go-to guy to talk to you about depression. <laughs> I've been there. I know exactly what that's like. And, man, it's like you're, you're in a, a bottomless pit and you're chained and there's no floor here and you, there's no rock to put your feet on. And you're just praying for a rope of hope. If somebody just give you a little bit of hope. He saved me from that. He awakened me from that. My first love came by, by nothing I did. You remember in Song of Solomon, like three or four times, she says, Awaken not my first love until he pleases. That, in other words, the, the love of God was awakened in me when he pleased. He left me in that hole so long that he knew I would never want to go back there again. He, he knows whatever put me in that hole, I'll never repeat those kind of thoughts again because I don't want to be there. He has delivered me, pulled me up out of the miry clay, set my feet on a solid rock, put a song in my heart. So, uh, and then the third thing he delivered me from was religion. He delivered me from the world. He delivered me from depression. He delivered me from religion. I, I preached for three years when I came up here at this religious organization we attended. And then uh, they made me the vice president. And I was honored. I thought, that sounds cool. I'll do something big now. I'll do, we'll influence the world. And, uh, but it didn't take long to realize things weren't right. When I got behind the scenes, things weren't right. So I uh, tried to change it all. For three years, we tried to change it. We couldn't change anything. So we left. God told us to leave. And that's why we started Return Church. We left in February, I think the end of April 2015. There were like seven families initially on the board, and we got together, and we had our first service April 2015. had 150 people at Return Church four and a half years ago. Yeah, God be the glory. That's why we started Return. And... Uh, the neat thing about this return experience in my life is for literally, I've always had someone to teach me. I've always listened to other teachers tell me what, and then I would preach what I learned. This four and a half years, the Lord just told me to sit at the feet of Jesus. And sure, I've read probably 200 books. Don't, I'm not saying I don't read other people's works, but every week I let him teach me. I let him tell me what I'm supposed to do. And so this has been a progressive evolution of walking away from uh, 
a fear-based ideology to a love-based ideology, from a works-based theology to a grace-based theology. You know, it's, it's been a gradual um, walking away from a, a dogma that's unhealthy to the freedom and the liberty that we can find in a personal relationship with Jesus. It's, now, I wouldn't take anything for this. So the deliverance from religion took me having to get all up in the middle of religion <laughs> to realize that's not what I wanted. And then as Jesus, you don't, you don't just get delivered from religion overnight. This has taken four and a half years to reprogram the way I think. And now I just want Jesus. You know, that's all. I don't, Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Just Jesus. That's in Christ alone. Amen. By grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. So God's been very good to me. Jesus has been very real to me. And that's why I'm a pastor of return. I'm not a professional preacher. I don't make money. I don't get my identity from this. I'm not going to be sad if we have few people or happy if we have a lot of people. You know, I'm not going to be sad if you aren't shouting and happy if you are, or sad if you're not giving, happy if you are. I mean, I'm not going to let you take me up or down, or I'm not going to be a tumbleweed. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do this, but I don't do this for you. I do this for the Lord. And uh, I, he's told me he's going to send somebody to help me. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that because when we get some help, this church can really start growing and, and taking off. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap for that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to close. I hope that story, something in that story resonated with somebody here today. Like I said, I had to get a little vulnerable to tell that. And... Uh, but I don't mind being vulnerable if it helps you. Jesus was t totally vulnerable. He was stripped with just a loincloth, naked on a cross, beaten and bruised and bloodied, totally vulnerable. And that's his arms were stretched out wide saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you when you've been good. I love you when you've been bad. I love you on your best day. I love you on your worst day. I've come to die for you. Because I love you. That's what God's voice is always saying. If you could hear it right now, right out of heaven. I love you. I love you. I love you. Amen. Stand to your feet and bow your heads. We're going to pray. If I've got a musician, a fence, a piano player, could come down here real quick and just play a little course for me. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the reality of your presence in my life. I thank you for saving me, for filling me with your spirit, for eradicating my old man. I thank you for leading me and guiding me my whole life, for delivering me from depression, then delivering me from religion. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've been so good to me. You've been so good. You've been so merciful. You've been so gracious. I don't deserve the life I live and let you let me live it. I don't deserve to be saved, but you saved me anyway. I don't deserve the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you, you gave it to me anyway. Lord, you're so, so good to me. We don't deserve this pretty little church, Lord, but you blessed, blessed us with it anyway.
I just pray this would be the place where people meet you. The place where people get their relationship renewed with you. A place where their emotions of their heart and passions are stirred that their heart would be on fire for you, Lord Jesus. Bring revival. Bring revival to this church, Lord. Bring revival. Let your spirit fall, Lord God. Let your spirit fall. In Jesus' name.